Today we're in John chapter 3. Let's go ahead and turn there. We got a beautiful chapter in front of us. One of the most amazing chapters. As we're going to look at Jesus talking to this guy, Nicodemus, and there's a birth from above. And then we're going to look at the exchange with John the Baptist and the blessing from below. So look what it says in John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, there, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so um, Nicodemus, really cool guy. Uh, it says that he was a Pharisee, and that basically means that he was uh, really religious. Uh, this were the sect that rose during the Maccabean period, and he made a lot of rules and regulations. I mean, they had, like, first of all, sincerity, like to do the right thing, but then they added all these laws on top of it. You know, for example, you know, you got to keep the Sabbath. And so we know what that means, right? To keep the Sabbath means that you give this day to God, you seek him, you kind of don't get distracted with other stuff. But then they came and they made like a hundred rules on, well, you can't do this on the Sabbath. You can't do that on the Sabbath. And before you know it, they were just buried with all these rules and regulations that they had legislated, man's tradition over God's truth. And so um, not all of them were bad, though. This guy right here, he seems sincere. We're going to see he ended up good. But he's a Pharisee. He's very religious, it says in verse 1. Named Nicodemus. It says in verse 1 that he's a ruler. And so what that means is he's part of the Sanhedrin. And so that was the Supreme Court for Israel. There were 70 men that made the big decisions. So this guy is powerful. He's very religious. And it says right here um, in verse 10, we're not there yet, but Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. The teacher of Israel. Think about that. Like who's the most famous preacher in the United States of America? You think of that someone right here, and this, this is who Nicodemus is. You know, he's a Pharisee. He's part of the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. He, he's a teacher. More than likely, he's rich because later when Jesus gets buried, he gives a hundred pounds donation. I mean, this guy had a lot of money. He was very influential, very powerful, very religious. And so he comes to Jesus by night, it says in verse 2, and he says, uh, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs, these amazing, messianic, miraculous miracles. No one can do this unless God is with them, right? And so I think there's a sincerity there. But, but it's interesting the way Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't respond like most of us would. Hey, Nicodemus, how you doing, bro? How's the family? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Hey, let me tell you a little bit about, you know, how are things going in the temple, by the way? You know, I know you're there. You're very influential. Any, you know, important decisions coming down in the Supreme Court right now? He doesn't do any of that. He just says to him in verse 3, he just cuts to the chase, listen, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I mean, he just cuts to the chase. And we learn so many things in that, you guys. We learn that, you know, it doesn't matter how religious you are. You know, there's a lot of people that come to church every single Sunday, and they don't really know the Lord. 
you know, it doesn't matter. Because some people, they have the routines, and this is kind of what they do on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and this is what they do on Sundays. You know, it doesn't matter what position, what title. You're a, pra- a pastor, a preacher. It doesn't matter, you know. Some people do it for the vocations, and they like to do it, or whatever it might be. You know, the Bible says we all have to do this, and I hope you're okay with this, but let's do this. He says, search your heart, let everyone test themselves. Are you really a Christian? You know, so it doesn't matter, well, I'm religious, well, I've got the title, I've got the position, all that kind of stuff, things are going good. No, the Lord loves him so much, you know, and I hope you guys see it the right way. He loves him so much that he doesn't really get engaged in small talk. He says, you know, unless you're, you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, some people will kind of criticize Nicodemus for coming to Jesus by night. They say, well, more than likely he came to Jesus at night because he was embarrassed. He didn't want others to see him. I mean, that might be the case. It also might just be a scheduling thing. You know, maybe they both had busy schedules, and so this was when they could get together. I I think that more than likely the reason that Jesus and Nicodemus got together at night was because Nicodemus wanted to be one-on-one. Like, you know, you know, I don't want you to be, let's, can I have this time with you? I see the signs, man. I'm, I'm witnessing the wonders, the miracles of the Messiah. I know that God is with you. There's something special about you. And so, did we have this one-on-one time? And, and so he, he comes, and Jesus is so beautiful. He just says, Nicodemus. You know, it, what, good, what good is it? What, what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus, he asks him about that in verse 4. Well, how can a man be born when, when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? <laughs> You know, the Nicodemus, uh, he sees things in a very physical, temporal, um, material way when he shouldn't have. You know, he's thinking, well, I've already been born. How can I be born again? I've got to go and find my mom and do that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that that's one of our problems, you guys. That's one of our problems that we don't look at things spiritually sometimes. We just look at things physically and God is trying to tell us something different. This is one of the problems in John chapter 2. Jesus said, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it again. They were thinking he was talking about the physical temple. No, he's talking about his body. In John chapter 4, when Jesus offers water, you know, the woman's like, well, where are you going to get the water? You don't have a way to draw. And Jesus is talking about, I'm, I'm talking about water that will quench your spiritual thirst, spiritual stuff. Later on in John chapter 6, eat my flesh. They thought he was talking about being a a cannibal. No, he's talking about believing in him as he was going to lay down his body on the cross. A lot of times the things that were the reason we struggle is because we're, we're not really listening to the Holy Spirit. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I'll tell you what, I'll bet you if you start listening more deeply, then you're going to hear the Lord speak to you. You're going to hear the, the voice of God. You know, and I can tell you a million things uh, recently. I'll, I'll share this with you guys just so that you can conclude. You can make your final conclusions. Manny is weird. Okay, this is going to settle it for you guys right here. But you can have your own view. I'll just tell you what's going on in my life recently. Uh, we 
have been having problems with our front door. Uh, the doorknob has been, it's just old, and we tried to fix it the Mexican way with duct tape, and uh, it lasted for a while, you know. But eventually, you know, the other day we came home, put the key in, and it, it kind of wouldn't come out, and we're turning it, and we're just having some real struggles with it. And so we're calling around, and it's just an old, old, old door that even the locksmiths that have been around forever, they don't want to work on it, Right. And so uh, that's a process right now. But, but as we're, you know, calling around and as we're praying and thinking on all these things, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me and he said, son, do you remember when you first started as a Christian and you had a dream? Do you remember that dream that you had that the devil was trying to come into your house? Do you remember that? And do you remember how he tried to come into the front door? And, and, and I wouldn't let him in, but there was like this, you know, this, I don't know, just battle going on. And then he tried to jump through the window, and they tried to go to the back door, and just the different ways that he was trying to get into my house. And I remember that dream very vividly, and I, ever since that day, I've always prayed, Lord, lock the door. And God knows what that means to me. And then, like, with this whole thing about our, our front door, I, I really feel like the Lord is saying to me, the devil's stepping it up. I, I'm after your home. I want to come into your home. So, so some may say you're weird, and some might say you're mystical. And, you know, there are times where I think people can take things the wrong way. But you know what's going on. And if you listen beyond the physical, beyond the earthly, beyond the human, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. God will start talking. And so what does that mean? You know, it means that I have to really pray. It means I have to really seek him. It means I need the wisdom. You know, it means I can't be casual in my Christianity because I know the devil's after us. The devil would love to take us down, me down, my wife, my kids. So we're here when the Lord is talking to Nicodemus and he's talking about being born again, Nicodemus, like we see frequently in the Gospel of John, is just listening from you know, a human perspective. And God is saying, no, you, you have to look deeper. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly. And in the Greek language, it's amen, amen. It means like this is really true. I say to you that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know, when you look at John, okay, this whole gospel, you want to know why he wrote it? He wrote it so that people would get saved. He wrote it. It's a gospel. And he wrote it to the world so that the whole wide world would know that God loves them and that God wants them to be saved. And so, you know, you're looking at these different stories and John's like, hey, I'm going to tell the story of Nicodemus because right there, it's just so cool how God tells us how to be saved. Now, from God's perspective, he says right here that we need to be born of the water and the spirit. Okay, so when God looks at salvation, it's got to be the water and the spirit. You're like, well, what does that mean, the water and the spirit? Well, it's not baptism, just in case you're thinking the water is symbolic of baptism, because we're not saved by baptism. Baptism is something we do after we're saved. 
Some people believe that the water is uh, symbolic of being born physically and spiritually. And it does seem to fit the context a little bit. Um, uh, we know that when mom is pregnant with a baby in her womb, that they're in the amniotic fluid, right? And so we knew that most of our children were going to be born because um, the water broke. And so some might say, well, to be born of the wa- to be born again and be born of the water and the spirit, it means that you'd be born physically and spiritually. But if you were to corner me and say, well, that's a possibility, what, what do you really believe? I believe it's more than that. I believe that what God wants us to do is to be born of the word of God and the spirit of God. Because it's kind of like conception. Like in a husband and wife, they get together, there's like a conception. And so the spirit of God will take the word of God to conceive a child of God. And that's kind of what the other verses of the Bible say. For example, in 1 Peter 1.23, it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so Peter says it straight out. Ephesians 5 verse 26 talks about husbands washing their wives with the water of the word. James 1.21 says the same thing. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And then in Psalm 19.7, I love what it says. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And so I'm telling you, there is power in the word of God. There is power in the Bible. And the spirit of God will take the word of God to conceive a child of God. And so that's how God does it. And it's amazing when you see how people just hear a Bible study or maybe the verse or whatever it is. I I was talking to one sister today. She just opened up her Bible and got saved. Got saved. There's power in the word of God and the spirit of God and they conceive a child of God. Nicodemus, this is how you're born again. He, he says in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things? You know, salvation is a necessity. You have to be born again. Salvation is a mystery. I trip out on how some people get saved, just in the, in the most bizarre ways. There's one guy that I know, he was in prison. He walked by and he saw the Bible there and it spoke to him. He picks it up, he gets saved. My friend, I remember Gus, he got saved in, the, in his bedroom listening to some guy you know, sharing the word. It was just him and that guy. I've talked to people, they come forward, they get saved, they raise their hand. Afterwards, I asked them, hey, how you, I didn't even know that I raised my hand. When you, when you said, hey, anyone here want to accept Jesus? And my hand was up. I don't know how it happened. God did it. You know, I was talking to one sister today and she was talking about how when she, uh, when her, her family member would share with her, she just hated her. She hated her. You know, every time she came around, it just, 
you know, something about that. So just in case you have a few family members who hate you, there's hope, okay? I just want you guys to know that, okay? <laughs> and so anyways, what ended up happening was uh, one day she's facing this medical decision. It was a really big thing. She had doctors telling her conflicting uh, truths, and so she didn't know what to do until finally she said, you know, I need to call on God. And she, uh, she called you know, the person that she thought was closest to God, and she didn't answer. She called the second person that was closest to God and said, uh, you need to get a, a Bible. And so I don't know. It was just the whole story. She eventually realized I don't have a Bible. Wait a minute, time out. Someone gave my kids a Bible. I remember a while back, this person gave my kid a Bible, and I opened up the Bible. I said, that's the weirdest gift that you would give a child. And I threw it in the closet. But then I, you know, at this time, I go, I find the Bible in the closet. I open it up. And the moment, the moment, I open up that Bible. I didn't even read anything yet. The moment I open up that Bible, the Spirit of God came inside of me, and I was born again. Those of you who are born again, you know what I'm talking about. When God comes in, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And, you know, we don't know how it works. It's like the wind. In many ways, it's so unpredictable. It's so invisible. But I know that when God does it, it's amazing. So the Lord is trying to tell Nicodemus, you know, don't, don't freak out on it. This is a, it's a work of God. One thing you need to know, Nicodemus, you'll never be good enough to go to heaven. You'll never be religious enough. You'll never be rich enough. You'll never be powerful enough. None of those things can end. You need to be born again. You need that. And if you haven't been born again, you know, maybe you're here today and you need that. You're like, you know, I, I know I'm alive physically and, you know, I, I, I'm interested in, in spiritual things, but I don't know if I've ever really been born again. Well, this is how the Lord does. it. He'll take the word of God. This is why when you go to church, you know, we do our best to teach you the Bible. I know some people will have a hard time with that. They'd rather hear other things, but it's, but it's because that's what God will take, the word of God, the spirit of God to conceive a child of God but, but well, what do you need to do? You're here today and you're not really sure if you've experienced the born-again reality. You know, what do you need to do? Well, then the Lord goes on and, and, and he speaks. In, in verse 11, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Notice again, let's start up in verse 9 again. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus was stripping out and said, Are you the teacher of Israel? You do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, there's the key, believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. You know, if you want to know how to get to heaven, it's probably best to speak to the one who came from heaven, right? I was talking to someone the other day and just witnessing with them and just trying to just kind of like share, you know, how unique Jesus is. 
how there's no one. If you're honest and you can talk to the people in the world and they have all their education and stuff like that, who's the most influential person who's ever lived? There's no one like Jesus. So the Lord here is sharing with Nicodemus and he's saying, I don't understand. You know, I, I notice in verse 11, we speak what we know, more than likely that was Jesus and the Holy Spirit trying to witness to him and he just wasn't getting it. He wasn't receiving it. He wasn't really believing it. And he's just saying, well, if I've told you earthly things and you've got these earthly illustrations, how are you going to believe the divine revelations? If I've told you things that really you should already know, kind of like old things, how are you going to believe the, the new things? Verse 13, again, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is a son of man who, who is in heaven. You know, this right here, what I'm sharing with you, what we're reading today, you guys, is not from Manny. It's not from the church. It's not from Calvary Chapel. It's from Jesus who came from heaven. And so, Nicodemus, this is what you got to do. From God's perspective, you're born again when the word of God takes the spirit of God to conceive a child of God. But from our perspective, this is how you're born again. Look in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, the Lord takes us back to the book of Numbers, chapter 21. He says, you guys might remember the story. Nicodemus, I'm sure you know the story. When the children of Israel had got bitten by the snake, then they were dying. And so Moses asked God, what do I do? And God says, take a brass uh, pole and put a brass serpent on it, lift it up, and then just tell the people that if they want to be healed, if they want to be saved from their infirmity, all they have to do is look and be saved. And the Lord says, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking about his crucifixion. Brass in the Bible is symbolic of judgment. And that serpent on the pole doesn't mean that Jesus became Satan. It means that Jesus became sin. And he bore all our sins and all the things that I've done wrong and all the way that I fall short and all my hypocrisy and all the things that I do that I know are wrong, even still to today, they were on him. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And Nicodemus, this is how it all happens, that the word of God, the spirit of God, come together to conceive a child of God. That's my perspective. That's what I do. But what you got to do is you got to look up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Think about that. That whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Some of you here, you believed, and you're born again. 
You didn't have to go earn it. You didn't have to go to church a hundred times. You didn't have to read the Bible over and over again. You didn't have to even necessarily pray a certain prayer, although God will use that prayer. It's the moment you look. It's the moment you see Jesus Christ given from the Father, died for me. And that's, that's how we're saved. You know, in the past, I've done uh, whole sermons on John 3.16. You guys know that verse, right? You guys know that? How many of you guys know that verse by heart? I'm just curious. The rest of you who don't, I want you to stay afterwards and I need to talk to you, okay? You know, but that's like the most popular verse, uh, 31,102 verses in the Bible. This is the one. Right? I mean, it's an amazing, amazing verse. So powerful. It's been called the gospel in a nutshell. You know, I, I was thinking about how God can use uh, this verse and this truth and really it's such a, like, almost like the heart of the gospel of John. I was thinking about this guy, Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow, uh, he's a really cool guy. Um, the, you know, when his parents were pregnant, his mom was pregnant, doctors said, you need to abort that guy, you know, because he's not going to come out good. And the parents were devout Christians, and they said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. You know, we believe in God, and our son is in his hands. And thank God they didn't abort him. He came out healthy and strong, and he was an amazing football player. And he went uh, and played college football. As a matter of fact, uh, he went on to become very successful. And there was a season where he started saying, you know what, these guys, they paint the, underneath their eyes. They do the black and they do the little words there. He says, I'm going to put a verse on there, Philippians 4.13. And so he started putting that verse on there and just, man, it's amazing to see all the people, you know, catching the vision and doing the same thing. And God used that verse in a mighty way and they just won and won and won and won until eventually they came to the national championship game. And then when, before the national championship game, God started stirring, himself, stirring Tim Tebow up. And he said, I want you to change the verse from Philippians 4.13 to John 3.16. I want you to put John 3.16 underneath your, your eyes. And Tim Tebow was like, okay, I really want to do that, but I don't know if my coach is going to let me because you know how it is. Sometimes they get a little superstitious and you don't want to change it now. Philippians 4.13 has got us this far, you know? But he asked his coach, and his coach said, sure, you know, uh, John 3, 16, he put it underneath his eyes, and um, it was amazing. Uh, they went on to win the national championship game, and that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3, 16. It was a man, like, how could 94 million people do it? That's one-third of the, you know, uh, and uh, citizens of the United States of America but somehow, some way, God used it. Tim Tebow was surprised that that many people didn't know it. <laughs> but it's amazing. 2009, that's what happened. So you fast forward a few years, 2012, and some of you guys might remember, although Tim Tebow didn't have the most successful NFL career, he did have a good season, a good game, when the Denver Broncos were facing the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game. And uh, you guys might remember, it was amazing what ended up happening. They had this great game. They went into overtime, and Tim Tebow, he threw, I think it was a 70, 80-yard touchdown, and they won the playoff game. It was amazing, amazing. And so any of you guys seen the game? There was something special about that game. There really was. And so afterwards, something interesting transpired. 
his, uh, I guess the, the team a PR guy came up to Tim Tebow and he said, do you know what just happened? Do you know what just happened? And Tebow, Tim Tebow said, yeah, we just beat the Steelers in, in the playoff game. He said, no. He said, it was three years ago today when you put John 3.16 underneath your eyes. It was three years ago, 2009, fast forward 2012. Today was the day when you did that. And you won the national championship. Today you win the playoff game. He said, and you want to know something? Today you passed for 316 yards. Today your average pass was 31.6 yards. Today your average rush was 3.16 yards. Today, the rating for the game was 31.6, and your time of possession as a team was 31.06. And you may, you, may, you may hear that, and you may think, well, that's just a coincidence, or that's just something strange. No, that's God elevating to the whole wide world the beautiful truth of John. Three, sixteen. For God so loved the world, that's you, that's me. He loves us so much that he gave his son, think about that. He gave his son to die on a cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, you look from God's perspective, you know, the Word of God and the Spirit of God conceiving a child of God, that's how God does it. But from my perspective, I just, I believe you, Lord. I'm messed up. I don't deserve to go to heaven on my own. But I know you gave your son to pay the price for me. And I believe. Not just in my head, but I believe in my heart. This is how... We're born again. This is how much God loves us. You know, when you look at this, to me, I'm like, Lord, I don't understand why people don't believe. Why don't they believe? Why don't they receive? And we read that actually in verse 19. It says, and this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. I don't know if you guys have experienced this yet, but people in the world that are not saved, they think we are so weird, so strange, so bizarre. Really, if you, if you really, if they're honest, and they start talking, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, yeah, I think that we should, you know, experiment sexually, and um, I can't believe that you want me to wait until I get married, and 
And then, you know, well, well, let me just explain to you, because sex was created by God between a husband and a wife so that they can be together. It's a bond, and it's beautiful, and it's spiritual. And what I believe with all my heart is that God wants families to stay together because it's the best thing for mom and dad and husband and wife, and it's the best thing for the kids. And I believe that family is the fabric of society. And just how, and this, I'm trying to share this thing. This person thinks my cheese has slid off my, my crack, or they think I'm so weird. And, and for me, I just, this is how it happened for me. Like for me, I just knew that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And then when I got saved, God opened my eyes to all these things. Why don't people come to Jesus? Why don't they believe these things that now on this side we see are so purely logical? It's because they love their sin. They love their sin. That's what he says. And this is the condemnation. Light has come, but they love darkness rather than light. I tell you what, we have all the intellectual arguments on our side. We do. But they don't believe. And they'll say, well, it's an intellectual problem or whatever, this and that and God and all that. No, it's because they love their sin. And so... I pray you guys would just know this, that, that we need to be born again. You know, we need a, a boost from above. They say that if you're born twice, you only die once. But if you're only born once, you die twice. And we're going to see that even later. These are lessons that we learn in John chapter 3, a birth from above. But, but now what? Now that you're saved, now that you become a servant, now what? And look what we read next in verse 22. It says, And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptized in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And so John is baptizing. One of the things you'll notice about the Gospel of John is that he stays pretty much in Judea. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of cover Galilee. John's material is 90% unique, and so he kind of covers things the other guys normally didn't. And so basically, John's there baptizing. Uh, Jesus' apostles are there baptizing because there's a lot of water. And, And while they were there, it says in verse 25, there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, speaking of of Jesus, beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You know, I don't know if you guys have caught this yet, but we are here for the glory of God and the good of people. We are here with a certain mission. All of us have a mission to glorify God and to reach people with the love of God. So in the beginning of the section, we talk a little bit about how people get saved and how it works and stuff like that. But now that we're saved, we're going to learn from John the Baptist kind of how it works, that I, I want to point people to Jesus. That's what I want to do. 
They came to John and they said, John, uh, hey, you know, all the people are going to Jesus. There was a dispute that rose among them about purification. The Jews had their ways. John the Baptist had his ways of baptizing and all that kind of stuff. But in the process of their debate and dialogue, they then probably told John the Baptist's disciples, well, just to let you know, everybody's going over there to Jesus anyways. So John the Baptist guys, they come back and they say, hey, Lord, not that many people are coming to our church anymore. Not that many people are coming to us anymore. They're all going to him. They kind of expected John to be bummed about it. But John wasn't bummed about it. He said, this is what it's all about. No, in verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. There it is. You know, before you're a Christian, you need a boost from above. You need a birth from above. But then after you become a Christian, you start serving. You, we need the blessing from below. The blessing that comes to us when we humble ourselves and we admit the fact that I must decrease and he must increase. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Less many, less many, less me, less of my ways. I'm talking about the bad part of me because there's a lot of that still there. He must decrease. Christ must increase. You know, John the Baptist was saying it's not a disappointment. As a matter of fact, that's the appointment. The fulfillment of my ministry is so that other people would follow Jesus. Like I have my kids and when they were little, you know, they probably followed me to a certain extent, you know, not in everything because... You know, they like different sports teams and stuff like that, but I'm still praying on things like that, you know. But, you know, in certain ways, you know, there's an aspect of like, okay, you know, they're young and they're learning and stuff like that. But now that they're older, I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow Jesus. And that goes for every single person that we see. You know, Sandy Adams said, glorifying Christ is easy when you are making a name for yourself at the same time. Are you willing to bow out for others to behold him? One of the struggles that people have in the church and sometimes in the ministry, well, why don't I get you know, accolades? Why don't I get attention? Why don't I get credit? Why isn't my name in the bulletin? Why is it you know, that person or whatever? That's flesh. That's flesh. No. You know, we're, we're just the bridegroom. Jesus gets the bride. You know, in those days, the bridegroom would be responsible for many of the things going on in the wedding day. And, you know, um, he would just kind of take care of some of the details. As a matter of fact, some people say that the bridegroom was responsible in those days for walking the married couple all the way to their wedding chambers. And once they were in their wedding chambers and the bridegroom heard, heard that everything was good, his joy was fulfilled. And that's kind of what you know, we need to do as well. Point people to Jesus. Point people, oh, they might not come to this church anymore. That's okay. 
that's okay. You go where God leads you as long as you are following Jesus. Because one day when I stand before God, it's not going to be about, well, how many people ended up following you know you or going to that church or whatever the case may be. It's not about that. It's about me saying, I love you and I just want you. The, the, the cry of my heart is that you would follow Jesus. It's not about me. And that's why I think one of the most powerful weapons that we have in, 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 in life is humility. Pride is the antithesis to God. Pride is. Jonathan Edwards said, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. F.B. Meyer, he said this, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we should reach them. I find now that God's gifts are on shelves one beneath the other and that it's not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. See, John the Baptist knew that he wasn't the best thing for them. He knew that. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. In Acts chapter 19, I encourage you when you get a chance, you go and you check it out. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul the Apostle came, it says to when he came to Ephesus, he found some disciples. And he asked them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, well, what do you know? And you know what they said? The baptism of John. That's all they knew. And therefore, they were not saved and they were not empowered with the Holy Spirit. John knew they don't need what I can give. They need what God can give. Remember John the Baptist? He said this, I baptize with water, but there comes one mightier than I whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize with who? The Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what we want. I don't want people to follow me and you shouldn't want people to follow you and it shouldn't be about your name in the marquee. It shouldn't be about anything about us. It's about us pointing people to Jesus. Verse 31, he who comes from above is above all and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth and he who comes from heaven is above all. This is why he must increase and I must decrease because look he, who he is. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He has received his testimony, has certified that God is true, for whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. He's saying, the reason why I must decrease and he must increase is because he's from God. That's what John the Baptist said. I'm just an earthly thing, and I'll tell you a little bit that I know, but this one was fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. And anyone who follows him has the opportunity to be empowered by the same Spirit. God's not going to hold back. He will give you that Spirit by measure. And then notice what he says in closing. The Father loves the Son. I love that. And he's given all things into his hand. He who believes, we go back to that, all you got to do is believe in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I think it's important for us to know 
that the Father loves the Son. You can talk to any parent here. And they will not be able to articulate to you adequately how much they love their children. Can you imagine the love that the Father had for the Son? You know, Jesus is called the Son not because some way back in time, you know, Father God had celestial sex with something and, you know, out comes the Son. No, it's his position. He's always, always existed and he's always been the Son. And, and, and the Father loves the Son so much, but he loves us so much that he gave his Son for us. Do you realize that? Do you realize that that's how much you're loved? Do you realize that the very first time the word love is found in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22 when the Lord told Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the one whom he loves, to take him up on this hill which is the same place in Calvary and to sacrifice him there? Do you realize that that's a picture of what would happen in reality one day when Jesus died for us on the cross? When the Lord says the Father loves the Son, He's given him all things, and for us, it just sends a message. Well, and that must mean he loves us. And all you have to do is believe in that son. Believe in Jesus, and you'll have everlasting life. But if not, it says right here that the wrath of God abides on you. And I was so proud of uh, my friend the other day, someone that I was we were witnessing uh, to, and even my son. You know, he 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 shared with this person. I care about you and I don't want you to go to hell. That's what the Bible says. The wrath of God. It's not the wrath of man. It's not the wrath of angels. It's not the wrath of demons. It's the wrath of God. The word wrath, it doesn't mean a sudden gust of passion or burst of temper. It's a settled displeasure of God against sin. It's the divine reaction of righteousness to unrighteousness. And that's why when I think about this, I think, okay, Lord, I've had a good life. You know, you saved me. I went through some weird things, you know, and I can't believe that I survived this or that. And, you know, when I look at my life, I trip out. But somewhere along the line, and I'm still not there yet, but somewhere along the line, God said, this is why you live. Because people are going to hell. And I want you to do everything you can somehow, some way, help them to turn to God. And that's what we read right here. For us, I pray as Christians, we would know this. It begins, first of all, with the, the boost, you know, from above, how we need to be born again. But then it also, I think it, it goes on from the blessing from below. He must increase, I must decrease. God help us to know this.
So if you're here today and you're a servant, I pray that the Lord will minister to you and encourage you in that beautiful realm of humility. May God use your life, you know, to reach others for the gospel. And if you're here today and you have not been born again, I pray that today would be the day. Is that you? Do you need that? Have you really experienced that? I mean, when you have, you know if you have it, then right here, right now, it's just like that lady she just opened up her Bible boom (laughs) open up your heart 